We're going to be reading the passage in Matthew 28. Uh, this is the resurrection of Jesus. This is the empty tomb. This is um, what we're here for on Easter Sunday, in case you didn't know. It says, After the Sabbath, as the first day of the week was dawning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone that sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes white as snow. For fear of him, the guards shook and became like dead men. But the angel said to the woman, Do not be afraid. I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here, for he has been raised. As he said, and come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he has been raised from the dead. And indeed is going ahead of you to Galilee. There you will see him. This is my message for you. So they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy and ran to tell the disciples. And suddenly Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came to him took his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. There's an old proverb, kind of unknown origin, story, of uh, a gentleman who found himself fallen in a hole and stuck and couldn't find his way out. And a well-meaning attention person came by and saw him in his despair and said, Well, sir, what you really need to do is just pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Try a little bit harder. Make better choices. And then went on his way. As the man in the hole continued to struggle. A little bit later, a religious devout person came by and said, Sir, I can see that you are obviously struggling and in despair. So let me pray for you. And he says a prayer and a blessing. And then went on his way. The man continued to sit in his pit and struggle in despair. Sometime later, this ordinary man came by and I said, what are you doing down there? He said, well, I have fallen and I'm struggling and I can't get out. And suddenly, this man just jumps into the pit with him. He said, what are you doing? Now we're both stuck. He said, no, it's okay. I've been here before, and I know the way out. Easter is about Jesus showing up for us. I, uh, you guys probably caught on now that I, I love a good overcoming story. My own journey and challenge and struggles as a kid and whatnot. So I'm always rooting kind of uh, for the underdog, always. I always love that come-from-behind, uh, miraculous story. And, and, and that's what Easter is. There's a lot that went on during Holy Week, right? So the week before, Palm Sunday, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem with, with a crowd. And people are excited and they're singing Hosanna, 
Right? There, there's this exclamation, there's this, this idea that he's going to come as the Messiah, the Savior, the, the coming King. For years, Israel had been in turmoil. They've been conquered by people, and we've been going over the return from exile and, 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 and oppressed by people. And in this time and space, the Romans really are the governing authority in the world and in the region. And there was still this longing and hope for the Hebrew people to have freedom. And so, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, there's a lot of different ideas, really, about what he should be, what he should be doing, how he should interact with the Roman government and the people. And, and uh, Jesus didn't meet everyone's vast expectations. So people were disappointed. People were frustrated. Later on in the week, he's betrayed by one of his closest friends. Later, Peter denies him. It's to the point where this Jesus that doesn't meet our expectations, we don't nothing what to do with him other than to crucify him on a tree. And from a week before, singing Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord, here comes our king, this excitement to, to him crucified, would have to leave people uh, in disarray. Right? I, I kinda, the, the question would be, how do we come and encounter the empty tomb? Because I would imagine, for me, uh, I would be fairly confused. Like, wait, what's going on? Like, I just, like, we just came in, and the crowds, and the cheering, and, and now he's, he's, he's dead? And people reacted differently. Some left. They took off down the road of Emmaus to kind of go about their life. Like, well, that was a good try. I guess that didn't work. We'll wait for the next Messiah, and they're on their way home. Others are uh, scattered and fear that they too are going to be arrested by the you know, Roman government and, and maybe crucified themselves or, or whatever. And so we have people in hiding, and people isolated, people confused. I would argue that over the last couple of years, as a people group facing a global pandemic and job shifting and families and... Uh, Relationships where we haven't been able to connect, that, that there's a bit of a similarity of just confusion. What's going on? Where can God be found in the midst of chaos? And that's the message that you are not alone. We find these, these ladies, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary, coming to the tomb. And I'm going to add in there, because in our benediction, we use this word every week, intention. Right? With intention, we love. And Mary and Mary and, and other ladies, depending on which, which section of the text you read, with intention, they prepared burial spices. Right? You don't just, most people don't just happen to have those. Like, oh, I have this, why not? With intention. They prepared their burial spices. With intention, they got up early that morning. With intention, they sought out to tend to Jesus. A 
We are not alone. Wherever we are, there is a God who is desperately waiting to be found. But do we have the intention, even in chaos, even in turmoil, do we have intention to seek Him? Like these ladies were doing. All throughout Scripture, there's verse after verse where it talks about seek and you will find. Blessed are those who pursue me. I will be their refuge. Over and over, I, I looked it up, there was like 26 different verses specifically using the word seek in reference to God. And it says, I will be found, I'll be present, I will be there. Do we have that intention to come and to seek God? See, when, when we face hard times, there is this reality that there are people who want to be there for you. And hopefully as a church, we would be that space where we could show up for people. But we also have a choice on how we encounter wherever we are. Are we going back to our old life? Are we hiding for fear? Are we with intention seeking Jesus? I've heard at times where people have struggled in the church or, or even lost a family or just in a kind of crisis of faith where we're wondering how relevant is the church. We've been burned by the church. We've uh, kind of disenfranchised about religious structure and construct. And, and, and so we choose to kind of isolate. We choose sometimes to withdraw from people when we're questioning and my encouragement is that with intention, you would make preparation to seek God and that he would be found. Now, one of the passages in this section that I really like and I want to highlight, it's, it's, it's a small, almost skipped in the magnitude of everything that's going on, right? Jesus was crucified. Now he's resurrected. He uh, was like lightning and his clothes were shining white. The guards are, are passing out because they don't know what to do. Uh, you ever see a dog running around? They're so excited. They just fall over like the goats. The dude. I, don't, I don't understand what happened to the guards. But they fell over and they were as if they were dead. Uh, and and this, the stones rolled away. Right? There's a lot going on in this passage. And there's this little piece, again, because we have a God who constantly shows up. Constantly, The angel's talking to the ladies, and he tells them, like, hey, don't be afraid. Because, I mean, that would put me at ease. Oh, well, if you say so. Uh, and he says, I know that you are looking for Jesus. I know that you're looking for the divine. I think a lot of us are in a spot where we are searching for a connection. And maybe it's with people on a similar journey. But maybe it's with this divine God. Saying, no, you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He says, go and tell the disciples that Jesus is going ahead of them. He's going to meet them in Galilee. They get clear instructions from the angel what they're supposed to do. And they leave from that. And on their way, Jesus shows up. Basically tells them the same thing. But that wasn't the mission. Right? The mission was they were supposed to go and tell the disciples. They were supposed to go and get there and tell them to go to Galilee. And that's where Jesus would be. And yet, knowing the journey that these ladies are on, somewhere along the trail, Jesus shows up 
and is present with them anyway. Why would he do that? He didn't need to do that. An angel just gave them an edict and the command, go, tell my disciples, go to Galilee, have them meet me there. Like there was a strategic plan in place. And yet Jesus diverts from it to show up and be present with these ladies while they're on their journey. And here's what it says. It says that they left the tomb quickly with fear and great joy. And when they encounter Jesus, he just says, Greetings. Hey, how are you doing? Right? Sometimes we have this, this mind that what Jesus didn't do was like, Oh my goodness, I can't believe you are still having fear. I have talked about this so many times. Do you know how many times in Scripture says don't be afraid? The angel just told you don't be afraid. And yet somehow on this journey, in this seeking, in this searching, maybe even with some uncertainty and confusion still, you're still afraid. Why are you afraid? There wasn't Jesus' response. He didn't even care. It says that they went about their journey with fear and joy. And I'm just going to tell you that there is room for your fear in the presence of God. So often we think we have to have it figured out. Like, oh, if I'm going to come to Jesus, I'm going to come to church. Like, I have to, you know, have my act together. I have to have my stuff together. I have to, um, you know, be in the right spot with God. I have to have my theology dialed in. I have to, I, 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 yeah, oh. And this invitation, like, oh, come to Christ. Well, oh, Pastor, you just, you just don't know what I've done. You don't know what other people have done to me. You don't know the doubts or the fears that I carry with me. Like, I know you have this invitation, you know, come as you are, this and that, but, but if, if you just knew, you, you would understand. I can't, I can't come to Jesus. I have to get some things figured out first. And these ladies with fear and joy, with a mixed bag of emotion, they were there. There is room for your fear in the presence of Jesus. Because he is so committed to showing up. The greatest overcomer story ever is the empty tomb. One of the things that's interesting too, uh, this is in Matthew 28, which goes into where he does meet with the disciples a little bit later on, verse 16. And this is where we get the Great Commission. For the whole church, right? This is where he says, hey, my disciples and gatherings, those of you guys who are on my team, like, go into all the world and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go to, go to Jerusalem, go to Judea, go, go to Samaria, go to the ends of the world, right? This is the great commission. And yet, catch this. It says that he went to Galilee to see them, and when they saw them, they worshipped him. But some doubted. This is his closest disciples, and in the midst of that, with the chaos that has gone on, the Holy Week and, and the triumphal entry and the betrayal and the this and the that, like they were still some within that context, within that group, that they were doubting. 
And again, we don't find this characteristic of Jesus going like, oh my goodness, why are you doubting yet again? Have we not gone over this? Remember when I said this? He just doesn't care. Like, he doesn't even address the fact that some of them are doubting. He just goes on like, cool story, you're doubting. Let me tell you what I want you to do. Uh, all authority in heaven has been given to me. So go, therefore, and make disciples. He doesn't even address the fact that some of them are doubting. And so I'm going to tell you that this morning, there is room for your doubts about God in the presence of Jesus. There is room for your mixed bag of emotions and your mixed bag of thoughts as we search for the divine. Because God wants to be found. God has a habit of constantly showing up in people's lives. Uh, I may have told this story before, and I wasn't even sure I was going to do it. My wife always laughs at me. She's like, you always go on these tangents, but you're used to them by now, hopefully. Uh, when early on in ministry, I worked with a, a group called Youth for Christ, and we did street outreach and worked with Avarice kids and all of that. And um, there was a particular winter day, and it was really cold, so there wasn't a lot of people on the streets. And uh, it was just me and one other person. Uh, his name was Zach Lucas. We were going around walking, and typically at that point, too, we were like, well, we're two guys, and we usually didn't interact with gals because, like, we're just walking around down there, like, hey, how are you? So we just figured, you know, Guys talk to guys, and you know, just so we try to avoid the creepy factor. And uh, and we're walking around, but there's not a lot of people. And there's these two gals kind of huddled up, trying to stay warm um, outside of uh, on the sidewalk, just leaning up against the building. It was a coffee shop, and and we passed them a couple of times. Again, downtown Luke is not that big, so we're there, and we just kept feeling, man, we're supposed to talk to them. And, and so uh, we decided to lean into the promptings of the Holy Spirit as opposed to just our rules, and we went over to talk to them. And, and almost instantly, one of the gals just started bawling and crying. And, uh, and, and like, through some blubbering, finally, she's like, why is God chasing me? And now this is, I didn't preach, I didn't go into like some sermon, I didn't like, oh, you know, like, no, nah, I just like, I mean, we're almost just in this introduction and having this reaction. And, and once we kind of, we go through, you know, some tears and sobbing and trying to translate that, uh, she had run away, her, she had lost her parents um, a few years ago, was living with a grandma and didn't necessarily like all of grandma's rules, and so she decided she was going to be better off on her own. And she took off. Uh, and she started to, from Anacortes, uh, which is where she was from, she made it over to Bellingham and then started working her way down I-5. And, and so in Bellingham, she was there like, oh, I wanted you to do a family, and, and Grandma's crazy and religious and telling me that God loves me all the time. I'm done with that. I'm going to go find my own way. And on the streets of Bellingham, she runs into people who encourage her, help her with some stuff, tells her that there's a God who loves her. She's like, yeah, yeah. Makes her way south of Bellingham. Now she's in Seattle and she bumps into some people at Union Gospel Mission who tell her, There is a God who loves you. She's like, Oh my goodness, I'm trying to get away from this. This is why I left my grandma. Stop. Leaves Seattle, works her way down to Tacoma. In Tacoma, she runs into some other people who share their story in the gospel that there's a God who desperately loves her. 
She's like, I don't want to hear this. Makes her way further down south, ends up in Olympia, and two guys on a frozen night walking around, deciding to interact with her and make sure that she knows that she's not alone wherever they are in their journey. She's at this spot going, why is God chasing me? There is a God who is so committed to showing up for you that death cannot even hold him. We crucified him. And he says, you know what? That is not going to stop me from showing up for the people that I love. I am here for you. Seek me, you will find me. Do not be afraid. Press in. And the character of God is such that he just keeps showing up. No matter how far we run, no matter how much we struggle. Uh, there's a debate, you know, in Christian churches where whether or not, like, what, what is, is it Easter or is it Christmas? Like, what's the most important, you know, holiday? What's the most important service? Uh, and and uh, my, my pastor would argue it, it's more Christmas because that was when, when God stepped into earth and the, the value of his presence being with us being more important. Uh, and, and But then people will say Easter is like the Super Bowl for churches. Like this is where we get together, we get rowdy. Uh, but in this, this context of Jesus always showing up, I want to talk a little bit about 1 John. Uh, so, all right, four Gospels. And the theory is that Matthew, Mark, and Luke were written in Hebrew. And that John was written in Greek. So that was the main language of the time in the Roman Empire. And, and the Gospel of John was written after the first three. Uh, Language-wise, most people were speaking in, in common realms. And like the trade language was Aramaic. Uh, and so most likely it was actually like originally in Aramaic and then translated to Greek or, well, there's scholars will argue about this. I was like, doing more studying again last night, and it just depends on which you know expert you want to listen to. Uh, and I'm not going to give you a whole rundown on Greek philosophy, but in Greek, we start with, with 1 John. It's talking about Jesus initially showing up for us. And it goes all the way back to creation. It says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning, and all things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. This emphasis that in the very beginning, Jesus was there and showing up. Now, now, very simple Greek, like and this is like refined down Greek philosophy, is this word logos, which means the word, or the, uh, the, the articulated thought. And in Greek philosophy, they would actually say that the word has to exist before the thing can come into being. Right? So we have a piano here. But this piano, like maybe in more Western thought, like we would create this thing and go like, oh, what should we call it? We don't have a name for it. 
right? Even like cars, originally weren't cars or automobiles, they were originally called horseless carriages because they didn't know what to do with them. It's a carriage, it doesn't have a horse. What is this horseless carriage, right? Uh, and, but in Greek philosophy, you would say that the word, the spoken intention, has to exist before the thing. So before a piano ever came into existing existence, the word had to be spoken in order for it to exist. And as the Gospel of John is being written more for the, the, the broader population and, and Greeks, and as the churches were, you know, throughout, if you read the book of Acts, churches are starting to plant up everywhere. So it was, it was written more in general to understand even as Greek philosophy was prevalent, that the Word of God was from the beginning, and all things were created by the Word, and God is the Word. Now, what happens sometimes is, is we get a little excited in churches, uh, and we begin to think like, ooh, this is the Word of God. This is the Holy Scripture. And I'm going to argue that this passage in 1 John is not talking about a Bible. One, even most of the New Testament wasn't written yet. So this idea that the Word is Scripture, and, and, and I believe that there's a sacred place for Scripture, but Scripture, and, and even the Word, I mean, at that point, Hebrew, like, are they talking about the Pentateuch, the Jewish Bible, the what, whatever. But the Bible didn't come and die on the cross for me. The Bible didn't and wasn't resurrected from an empty tomb for me. But the Word of God, this living, breathing, creative power, did. I don't put my hope in salvation in a text. It gives me understanding. It points me towards the divine. But my hope and my salvation my comfort is in the work of Jesus, the Word on the cross, and being resurrected. And as we seek, part of the interesting thing, too, around this word, logos and the Word, is the ability to recreate with the Word. That maybe something was created for an original purpose, but through the Word, through the spoken intention, things can be and used for a different purpose. And this Word of God that we seek, and we're going to sing a song of the Word of God speak. It's this hope that God would speak, this God who shows up, would speak that life into us. That it would give us hope and joy. Because God so desperately wants to show up for you. My hope as a church as we lean into this season is really that knowing that the broader community has gone through chaos and a global pandemic, that there are people who are searching, there are people who are uncertain, there are people who are fearful about religion, organized religion, they're fearful about their state and their relationship with God, they're fearful about coming into a place of that sacred church with doubts for fear of judgment because they are coming and as they're seek, as they wrestle with that, they're coming with fear and doubts. And is the church even a safe place 
be able to speak doubts. Or if I tell you all that I doubt the inerrancy of Scripture, meaning that this is like 100% without fault after all the translations and what, like, and if I say that, I'm like, oh, Pastor just said he doesn't believe in the inerrancy of Scripture. Like, let's take him out to the courtyard and stone him. People who are right now searching for meaning, searching for connection, searching desperately for a God who is going to show up with them are bringing a mixed bag of emotions and doubts. And can the church be a safe place for them with their fears and their doubts? Scripture would say, in the presence of Jesus, there's room for their fears. In the presence of Jesus, there's room for their doubts. As a church, can we say to our broader community, come, there is room for your fears at West Portland United Methodist. There is room for your doubts at West Portland United Methodist. There is room for whatever baggage you want to bring. And as you search for a safe place, we'll just walk alongside you. We don't even need to address it. Right? Jesus, they came with joy and fear. He's like, oh, let's talk about this fear. He's greetings. How are you? Let's get about what we need to get about. The disciples worshiping him and doubting at the same time. He's like, let's not focus on the doubt. We got a job to do. Let's go out and love people. So often we want to focus on the thing that makes some of us other or the baggage. And I think we should just focus on the love of God and the fact that it's the best overcomer story ever. We killed him. Didn't meet our expectations. Didn't know what to do with them. And he says, that's all right. I'm going to show up anyways. <laughs>